the second week of the WCL and it came with just as many goals and drama as the first week particularly with VAR and whatnot but we'll get into that later 22 goals this weekend and just like last weekend the talk of VAR and officials and goal line technology and all that kind of takes spotlight again um obviously in the big matchup between Man City and Tottenham that was a big surprise um entertaining a little bit but big surprise and I'm back from Barcelona wearing a, my new Barcelona top. Uh, took advantage of the moment and I splurged a little bit at the shops. There was, there was a shop at every single corner of literally the downtown of like Barcelona and it was really hard to resist. But anyway, I'm joined by the usual Jesse Parker Humphreys and Abdullah Abdullah to break down this weekend's action. How are you two? Doing good. Yeah, we've, we're, we've got a very international set of uh, T-shirts today alex is in a barcelona hoodie abdullah's wearing some psg merch and i've got a juventus shirt on so that juventus kit is really nice with the that was last season with a little pink stripe down the middle yeah i love pink on a kit yeah that's that is fair that is fair but yeah so now we're in the second weekend of the wsl and brighton are top of the league and brighton arsenal manchester united and tottenham are the only four teams that have gotten all six points from the opening two matches Chelsea find themselves in sixth and Man City in seventh with both only having three points for the first two matches. Not really the start of the season that we expected, probably considering the Chelsea, um, well, the Chelsea Arsenal loss could have been a little bit not predicted, but it's not as surprising as obviously the Man City Tottenham game yesterday. Um, But we'll get into that later. And we'll start off with um, Reading zero, Arsenal four. Uh, Miramar scored twice. Shocking, just another weekend in the WSL. Beth Mead scored and assisted. Again, uh, Beth Mead is flying at the moment. And Jen B.E. opened the scoring with a header from a corner, um, which is actually quite impressive, that header, because she was literally being wrestled down by one of the defenders. Um, like, both arms completely around her waist, and she just still managed to, to head that over. But undefeated so far under Jonas Eidevel in the league and the Champions League. Of course, Champions League was a bit easier opposition um but obviously it's a good start to the league um, and we're starting to see like a lot of a fresher arsenal side compared to last season at least for me the vibes on the team seem to be a lot better and it's been showing on the pitch the the kind of chemistry and the happiness that the players have when they score um even when they're going down and i think that's one of the biggest aspects on this arsenal team particularly individual players and characters and personalities if they start to enjoy themselves a lot more they just naturally begin to play better um, and that's what I've noticed so far from the Siona side. I can go on it on and on forever about the tactics and everything that we've seen, um, especially with Frida Manum and Mane Wabuchi, best signings, um, this transfer window for, for Arsenal, I think. But Jesse, what have you made? Two matches so far, plus Champions League matches that we've seen Arsenal play so far. What have you made to the start of the season? And do you think they can keep it up until the end of the season? Yeah, I've been really impressed so far. I think you're really right, Alex. It just feels like Arsenal, it's like a weight that has been lifted off some of their players. You know, the way Beth Mead's playing, it feels like the pressure's really off her, which is funny in some ways because, you know, the signing of Tobin Heath, that maybe felt like the pressure was on to perform. But maybe in some ways that's, you know, not feeling like you've got to carry the team, that other people are going to be 
able to chip in as well at different points. Maybe that that does, you know, take some pressure off for you. Um, I'm also pushing the theory that she wants to move to Leon so she can be back with Daniel van der Donk. And that's why she's playing so well. Um, but yeah, I feel like what I've really enjoyed seeing from Idaval is um a real sense of pragmatism to some of Arsenal's play, you know being willing to play very directly, very quickly. We saw that against Chelsea. I think we saw it again this weekend against Reading. Uh, you know, Reading aren't, aren't going to be the, the toughest test, although Arsenal have struggled against them in the past. You know, they, they can frustrate frustrate the bigger side. So, yeah, I think at the moment it's going great. Do I think they can keep it up? I don't really see why not. The team's only got, you know, deeper. Uh, you know, in the past, Arsenal have struggled with injuries and having this smaller squad. As things stand right now, the, the squad looks good. Uh, everyone looks fresh, fit. You know, there are players still to come in. Obviously, Heath's coming in. Jordan Nobbs is going to come back from injury too. So I think there'll obviously be bigger challenges than they faced so far. But I do think also that the, you know, psychological benefit the team will have got from beating Chelsea is almost impossible to quantify. I think that will have really meant a lot to the team. It was a long time coming for them. And I think it will just make them feel again, like, you know, they are genuinely up there. They can go and win this title. I'm sure they'll feel great as well, given what happened to City at the weekend. You know, to be the only team of the top three to have six points after after two games is, is amazing. And... I think, you know, provided everyone stays fit, there's no reason they can't go all the way. Yeah, I definitely agree on the confidence bit, especially um, last season that I think it was a February month where they had to play Chelsea and Man City after having five or six um, postponed matches or just troubled matches that couldn't be played. Um, I think that was a really big dent to kind of their confidence and how they carried on for the rest of the season. I think that mentality didn't come back until potentially that Manchester United game. Um, when that was a big crucial match to get that third um, that third Champions League spot, I think that mentality from then to then it was it was it didn't really it affected their game a lot. And as we mentioned earlier, that that personality and that confidence and that happiness of playing football again is a really big factor on this in this Arsenal side. Um, but Abdullah, you know, we've talked about the tactics. Well, we haven't really talked about the tactics yet, but we've talked about how good Jonas has been tactically with this team and with the players that he had. You know, he has a very specific idea of what each player needs to do in order to help their teammates shine. I know he's mentioned a few times that he wants Mana or Frida or the wingers to do specific runs, specific positioning in order for Viv to get more space. Um, so what has been kind of your highlight of Jonas's tactics, tactics with this Arsenal side? I mean, I've been super impressed. Like like Jesse said, I've been really impressed with Arsenal. I, I, I thought they would be good, but I didn't. And I thought they would take time to settle into the system, but I didn't think it would be almost immediate, right? I mean, I think for me, I said it would probably be in October, November when we'd see the proper Arsenal. And I think if they're starting off like this, beating uh, uh, beating Chelsea, then beating Slavia Prague, obviously, and then um, and then you've got them beating uh, Reading now, it's it's it bodes well. I think for me, there's a couple of things that I have really been liking and I think his switch to the 4-3-3 from a 4-2-3-1 that they were playing last year I think has helped uh has helped a lot because it's given um it's given like Beth Mead to kind of occupy one wing and then she has the space and kind of being able to push the wing uh, the wing backs or the full backs forward has kind of given her that license to be able to kind of just drive inside and really push into the into the box without almost going into the space of someone who'd be playing as a natural number 10 so I think now she's got a little bit more space in, the, in those forward areas. And with Arsenal playing, 
not like like kind of what Jesse was t- saying, like not direct direct football. It's not like Route One, but it, they are getting the ball from back to front a lot quicker and a lot smoother. So for me, that's giving her the space and on almost playing this counter attacking style, which almost suits Beth me. And I think Tobin Heath will 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 benefit from that as well. If you see them on both sides. Um, games where they're going to be a lot more controlling. You know, Mane Wabuchi is going to step up even more, I feel. And you can get Kim Little, Jordan Nob say. So I almost feel like he's got different profile of players for different types of games, whether he wants to go more counter-attacking, whether he wants to go more possession-based. And one thing I noticed in the Chelsea game was he was using uh, uh, Zinsberger as almost like an auxiliary centre-back. Like he pushed her up high to kind of play in line with this, with, with Jen Beatsy, and that allowed, whether it was uh, Katie McCabe or whoever's playing on the other side, to push up. One of them would push up, and then they would actually still remain as a four, but with your goalkeeper as an extra centre-back, which I thought was really smart because that gives you an extra player in, in midfield. And that, again, prompts one side, whether it's at right back or left back, to then be able to push on and become an extra player in the attacking phase. And if you're going with this direct route forward, then you almost have that extra player. You're already overloading the teams on one side and you have numerical superiority. So, I mean, those are the few things that I've noticed that I've really been impressed with and what he's been doing. Yeah, I think definitely against this Reading team, I think one of the biggest aspects of what Arsenal did was to open the Reading defense and overload the wings, like you mentioned there, Abdullah. Um, like one of the goals, obviously, Beth Mead, she got um, two assists if I off the top of my head. Um, she did get that that one little cheeky assist to Viv Miedema where she kind of drove down the 1v1 down the wing, came back, uh, had a clear shot on goal and just cheekily um, cut it back for Viv for an easy tap in. But if you look at the switches, the way they're moving the ball is, is very... I think that was one of my biggest problems with Arsenal last year was that they didn't switch the ball enough because all the wingers found themselves in so much space and they never took advantage of that. But I think Jonas is is kind of targeting that and he's overloading the the wing on especially I mean especially with the fullbacks you have with Steph Catley, Katie McCabe, um, Noel Maritz, all these people. When you overload the wing and you have Beth Mead and Nikita Paris and then Tobin Heath later on being able to cut inside, have a shot on target or just interplay link with the midfield. And then you have your fullbacks coming up on the wing. Um, they're also obviously doing that really, really well. And you saw it against Reading. Um, they overloaded the wings uh, with one of the midfielders as well that comes out on the wing, plays interchanges with the fullback. The winger comes in. I mean, it's working really, really well. And I think that's... That, they're finally using their strengths, especially when you have a winger like Beth Mead, um, who's absolutely flying. And that goes on to the next question, Jesse. You know, Beth Mead is, I mean, her confidence is just like, she comes onto the pitch and her confidence is just like, you could see it smoking from her body. Um, four goals, six assists in six games. That's pretty good that's that's pretty pretty good and obviously um she missed out on the olympic squad so she got a lot of rests over the summer which i think has suited has done her really really well but now it's the international break and we get to see beth mead play with the lionesses again and now under serena vivian um i mean what do you think of that yeah i think it's really exciting you know look beth mead's always a player who i've just felt like hasn't been productive enough to kind of justify the amount of game time she's had. And I think that's why she kind of fell out of the England and the GB setup. But this season, you know, the kind of shots she's taking, these like low percentage shots that are just going in, which, you know, I don't know if it's something she got a chance to work on more over the summer, if it's a confidence thing, but it's really impressive, you know, the, the chances she's scoring. And I think, you know, it is, 
exciting to see her back in the England squad. There's a good space there for her with Chloe Kelly out. You know, I think generally we're going to see Lauren Hemp be first choice on the left, but, you know, there's an opportunity there on the right for, for Beth Mead. And I think she's a player who we probably could have used, you know, at the Olympics, because I, I do think we, we kind of struggled there. There's a kind of tasty bit of competition, obviously between her and Paris at, at club level and at national level, which I think will be interesting to see how that plays out. But certainly on current form, you know, Mead is by far and away, you know, in the best position of almost any England player, I'd say going into that camp with Wiegmann and, and what a great opportunity to kind of start from scratch to have like moved on from whatever preconceptions there were about her. I think, you know, looking at Wiegmann's England squad, okay, there's been a number of injuries which have allowed us to bring lots of players back into the fold who, who've had some time out, whether it's Mead, whether it's Beth England, uh, you know, even, even a player like Jess Carter. And I think it's really exciting for both those players and for England as a national team to see people getting a chance again at that level in those camps and kind of getting, you know, fresh perspectives for them. Yeah, I'm definitely excited, uh, not only for the players, I think the squad is is really well balanced, um, obviously with a lot of injuries. So a lot of players have had to come in and kind of replace those positions. But obviously Serena Wiegmann, we've talked about her. That was um, the first kind of webinar thing that the three of us did together was talking about Serena Vigman and the Lionesses and what kind of to expect from that. Um, so maybe we'll do a part two uh, later on, but we'll see about that. But yeah, that's definitely exciting. Yeah, a lot of lot of new opportunities, a lot of uh, comebacks like Lucy Staniforth as well. Um, but yeah, we can we can do another podcast on that maybe later on the international break. Um, but next game we're going to talk about is Chelsea for Everton zero goals from Fran Kirby, a brace from Sam Kerr and Bethany England on the score sheet. I mean, it's, it's not really bad at all. Um, but obviously, you know, it's a lot of talking points here in terms of from both sides, um, Chelsea, the main one being that the formation of the back three that we're seeing a lot more and, and kind of what Emma Hayes is kind of going to stick through and, and see if it works or not. Um, obviously, as you guys mentioned in the last episode as well, you know, that is, it's a process of having the players getting to adjust themselves to the new system and kind of work themselves out, not like coaching perspective, but the players need to work it out themselves and what they find themselves more comfortable with and the chemistry and the relationships in that formation. So that's a big talking point. And, and then on the other side, it's Willie Kirk and will he stay in his job? Um, you know, obviously Everton find themselves at the bottom of the table with zero points and a minus eight goal difference. I mean, in our preview pod, we had Everton sitting in fourth place, um, expecting a bit more from them, but obviously they did get a tough draw, you know, starting with Man City and Chelsea in their first two opening WSL games. Um, but I think we can all agree that everyone kind of kind of expected those games to be a lot closer than what they were. But we'll start off with yeah, Jesse. You know, that back three with Millie Bright starting on the right, Jess Carter in the middle, and Magda Eriksson on the left. What was, I mean, what do you think of that? You know, I, I know we spoke about it just a little bit. Um, and then I, I think I ghosted you on WhatsApp for a little bit and then I didn't go back to that. Um, but what do you think of that? And what do you think will happen in the next few games? Yeah, insight into mine, Alex's relationship. She'll text me and ask me a question and then I'll reply. And I just went here from her for hours, <laughs> like baiting me into a conversation. I had my own match, to be fair. So that was a few hours. <laughs> oh, you I, were I playing football. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I thought, you know, it was interesting seeing the Carter Bright switch. I think it made sense in terms of, you know, I think Carter's quite a good reader of the game. I think she's good at making interceptions um, and and that kind of stuff, but not as good as a one-on-one defender as Millie Bright is. And, you know, I think we saw that exploited especially in that first goal against uh, the Viv Miedemar goal against Arsenal. So I think having Millie Bright on the right to kind of deal with players who are coming off the wing, um, it makes sense defensively. I think the problem is, is that it puts a lot of pressure on Carter, um, Carter's distribution. And listen, Jess Carter can be really good on the ball. You know, uh, case in point was her, her free kick against Bayern Munich in the Champions League semi-final. She... She can pass well. Uh, she can she can use dead ball situations well, but I think it is a bit of a a different challenge when you are in that central centre back role. And I do wonder if Chelsea are kind of missing out on specifically Magda Eriksson's ability in that kind of position. You know, it felt like she was shunted really quite wide as the left sided centre back. I think because Guru Wrighton is such an attacking left wing back. That's always going to be be the way that goes. Maybe if you're having John Anderson as as your left wing back, that you can kind of push things back round again. Uh, so I think that is a bit of a problem. You know, it definitely felt at times that like Everton were able to box Chelsea in, just having them pass between the back three and kind of between G and Ingle, and not really being able to move the ball forward. And then when Chelsea really were getting attacking draw, it was actually coming from Everton's mistakes and high turnovers. But you know, as as kind of Alex, you just mentioned, this is something that's going to be a work in progress. Those attacking patterns of play are going to be something that has to be figured out. And I don't know. I, th- I think we're just going to have to see how how that gets figured out. I do think, you know, Jess Carter has the technical ability to become a much better ball-playing centre-back than maybe we've seen in the past because of what's been required of her because of who she's been playing with. But I don't think we're there quite yet. Yeah, I think the most awkward bit for me, um, I only got to see the first half because I did have to leave for my own match. Um, But the most awkward thing for me from what I saw the first half an hour of the match was how obviously usually when you have a four in the back, the two centre-backs split and then your keeper gets to play that sweeper-keeper role of of controlling that possession, moving the ball from left to right. Um, But now, obviously, Carter was in that space. So Anne-Katrine Berger didn't really have a much to play with or didn't get the ball as much as you would imagine. And every time she got the ball, it was a really, really, what I think is like a really dumb, like one meter pass to Jess Carter, who would then just do what Anne-Katrine Berger usually does. Um, the other awkward bit about it was that when G drops deep to receive the ball, for example, and Sophie Ingle as well, when they drop deep to receive the ball, that's usually in between the center backs again, the six comes into that space created by, and, and then you have a kind of a, kind of a, a little try, um, a little diamond with the six, the keeper, and the two centre backs, and then obviously with just Carter, uh, just Carter being in the middle of that, it's a bit um, awkward. I found it sometimes in terms of like it's just kind of an extra player that doesn't need to be there. Um, but obviously that comes with the the back three. Obviously you're always going to have someone in the middle, but I think that needs to have a bit more fluidity for it to kind of really really work and use the advantage of obviously the big part of having three in the back is to have more numbers in the attack, whether that be the midfield or the front the front line. So I think that fluidity might need a bit more um, work on in terms of ball movement and getting the ball up faster. But Abdullah, looking at Everton, a 4-0 loss to Chelsea, maybe 
maybe maybe it was kind of deserved um but we did expect i mean we did talk up everton quite a little bit in our pv pod considering the players that they had and how they did last season in willie kirk and how they've managed uh, the team overall but they sit at the bottom of the table with zero points and yes of course man city and chelsea hard opposition but abdullah were you expecting a lot more from this everton side and are you a bit disappointed with willie kirk yeah, I think a little bit. I mean, we talked them up, I think, but we talked them up, I think, for good reason, because their squad, yes, new players, and I, and, I, and, I, and I think we did caveat it by saying that it will take time for them to 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 settle in and become a proper squad, but I didn't think that they would be shipping away eight goals in two games. You know, it's, it's that, that I think, that I think is the most disappointing part, that defensively they've been, they've been so easy i mean i say easy to easy to break down i mean in terms of the uh, the numbers of goals that they gave away so i am a little bit disappointed in the way they've been playing um they've had good moments individually in these games which kind of shows that there is something there for him to you know for willie kirk to work with and for him to to be able to eventually i think get it right but i, I also i mean i think we'll have to be fair that it was probably the toughest start that they could have asked for. You're playing uh, City and then you're playing last season's champions in back-to-back games in your first two. So while maybe zero points is, is you could, you could imagine that zero points before the start of the season, but not with a negative eight goal difference. I think I would have, I would have expected a one nil, maybe a two one sort of loss, which the performance was good, but they just narrowly lost out. Um, but not, not this way. I mean, yeah, like kind of on the other, on the flip side, you look at Chelsea and yes, they lost to Arsenal, but they lost three, two. And yes, there were issues, but you could see a lot of positives from that. And, you know, they took it into the next game and they actually, you know, they beat, they beat um, Everton four nil. But and but Everton just weren't able to take their their issues from the first game to the second game. And while they had a bright start for 20, 30 minutes, it just kind of went downhill after the first first goal went in. And, uh, and yeah, it is overall disappointing. Yeah, I definitely. I I also agree with the fact that I definitely expected the the game to be closer. I think Chelsea and Man City winning the matches is was maybe expected, but the four 0 was just really not expected it was just supposed to be a lot closer match considering the players that they brought in and, and everything but their next two games are against Birmingham City and Reading and then they play Arsenal after that so maybe these two games is a bit of a kind of redemption for Willie Kirk who isn't really in a good standing with a lot of people and kind of yeah just disappoints in results with Everton again as we said you know the, the losses themselves aren't really that disappointing. It's just the way they lost and the results that, that came with it. But Jesse, do you think, obviously women's football isn't the same as men's in terms of like sacking the coaches and everything, but do you think if Willie Kirk does not step up the team in the next few games, do you think that he can be out of the job by maybe January, for example? But also, again, women's football problems is it worth it to sack him given the the slim um, kind of choices of professional women's football coaches that we have? Um, is it kind of worth it or are they just going to, you know, see it out and hope for the best? I think it will heavily depend on what the performances like are in the next couple of games, because look, we expected Everton to take a step up this season, but based on their results against City and Chelsea and Arsenal last season, they've not actually taken a step down. Like they got trounced in these games last season as well. So I think it'd be more of a concern if 
I mean, ultimately the results last season against those big teams couldn't really get any worse, but you'd be talking about a more concerning situation if they say had. I think, you know, what's kind of maybe becoming clear is that Everton as a club have brought in lots of exciting attacking players, but didn't necessarily strengthen in defence, maybe in the way we would have expected to, you know, for example, like losing Ingrid Mover was going to be a problem for them. And it doesn't really feel like they looked to effectively replace her, for example, which is strange when you're bringing in so many signings. And I think that's a club issue as much as a Kirk issue. And so I guess the thing is, what's probably frustrating for Willie Kirk is I can kind of see what he's trying to do. He obviously wants to play, you know, a kind of exciting attacking style of football, playing out for the back, all of that kind of stuff. He ends up with his first two games being City and Chelsea and he wants to do the stuff that he worked on in, in pre-season, presumably. But the problem is, is they got caught out again and again on the ball in dangerous areas. And then they were kind of trying to look to play long because that kept happening to them. But then they're not set up to kind of play in that way. So you kind of end up in a catch-22 situation where you're you're trying to play in a positive manner in a way that's probably going to get you good results against the, the smaller teams. But that's actually because you're not good enough at it, leading to you getting really caught out against the bigger teams. So... I think Everton would be stupid to sack him now. Um, I think there's clearly still a lot of talent within this Everton team, but they're obviously massively far off the top three still. I guess the best you can hope for for Everton now is that when you come back around and play those fixtures again, that's when you see the improvement. But I don't I don't know if that's going to happen with like the number of individual errors that it feels like that there is in this Everton team at the moment. Yeah, it seems like maybe we spoke too soon in the preview pod, but I, I do agree that, yeah, I don't think sacking Willie Kirk at the moment would be kind of a smart idea because he, he does have the ideas and he has he has had these ideas for quite a few years now as well. Like he's been building up this team on his own and kind of has the clear ideas of what he wants to do. Um, obviously a bit restricted compared to bigger clubs, but still. Um, but again, you mentioned there the signings, Jesse, about kind of replacing players and getting new players in. Um, we can talk about the same with Chelsea, kind of their lack of fullback signings, um, which obviously maybe have to do has to do with this back three that they have to play in now. Um, but Abdullah, tactically, what have Chelsea gotten right with this back three formation? One of the the replies that I got from Jesse yesterday is that Harder seems to like this uh, formation quite a lot and and her style of playing it. It, it it does I think it does I think she has a bit more freedom to move into spaces and and kind of carry the ball a bit longer. But um, Abdullah, what do you think? No, I think uh, Jess is spot on. I think we were having a conversation about this yesterday as well. And I think for me, it's the front three are, and we saw, you know, a glimpse of it obviously yesterday, their first game together. But this front three is going to, it's going to flourish, I think, even more than they did um, in the 4-4-2 or the 4-4-2 diamond that they were kind of, you know, roaming around with the last season. I think Harder now gets to play a little bit closer to the box. This is, which is what, which is what I noticed yesterday. Her, her even, even against Arsenal, she got her goal by making a late run to the box with a cross that came in and she headed the ball in. So for me, I think now she gets to pick up the ball while she is going to go a little bit deeper in the half space to pick up possession as she did last season. But now when she gets it, she's already more central than she is wider. So she doesn't actually have to come across. She just starts more centrally and it has the ability to kind of go forward and kind of make a a small shift to a right and then kind of play in that, in that half space area, you know, number 10. And I think playing as number 10, suits her better because in, in in essence I think she's a nine and a half where she's a striker but she's also number 10 and 
you kind of play her in that position where she's able to do kind of do both, you know, have both skill sets. So I think for me, that's been the biggest win of the last two games as her performances have been really, really good. I think at the same time, it's going to benefit uh, Sam Kerr and Fran Kirby just because of the, they'll they'll be able to get the, the, the underload space on the opposite side. When hard is attracting players on one side, the other two will have space to kind of, you know, run around on, on the opposite side. I think the double pivot was good yesterday. I would like to see that in the next few games and see how that develops with Ingle and G had their positive moments. But Everton did have moments in the first half with Claire Emsley, but they got in behind the space. They got in behind uh, Aaron Casper at right wing back, you know? And I think against the smaller sides, yeah, right and Cuthbert combinations with Charles, they'll work fine because the other teams are going to sit back. Everton sat back a little bit, you know, when they did, those two were able to push forward and, and have an effect on the game. It's when teams come onto them is where I think we're going to have to still see whether Chelsea can get it right, whether Hayes can find the, the right system and the right format for fixing up this thing. And I guess the game against Wolfsburg in the Champions League, you know, obviously we, we've got the draw today, but I think that will be an interesting test for me to see if they've gotten it in midfield and defensively uh, spot on. So moving on to probably the most talked about match of the weekend, um, maybe because it was the last one. So it was kind of uh, the last thought of everyone as everyone's weekend, but Tottenham beat Manchester City for the first time ever in the WSL and City have lost their first, their not first ever, just their first WSL match to a team that isn't Arsenal or Chelsea since 2018. And also before last night, City were 33 games unbeaten at home and Spurs were the ones to end that record. Who would have called that? I have no idea. Uh, but it's happened. And the obvious topic to talk about is Tottenham's second goal which probably shouldn't definitely not have been given. Um, but my argument is that obviously Ayane jumped. Someone someone said that it looked like she was jumping during the YMCA, um, which is kind of funny. But I think my argument is that since it was a, it was um, kind of just a ball into the box and it was messy and everyone was jumping, my argument is that the ref probably thought it deflected off of someone's head rather than someone's arm. Um, that's kind of the only thing I can think of because obviously there was a City defender jumping right in front of her. Um, so I'll give the benefit of the doubt to the ref is that she thought she it probably came off the city defender's head rather than the arm. But yeah, just like a very scrappy, scrappy goal. But at the same time, City probably shouldn't have found themselves in that position in a one-one position to to begin with. Um, I mean, anything could have happened. It's a game of football, and obviously things like this happen in the game. Um, but it's just a matter of at the end of the day, Tottenham and City were were tied 1-1 until that moment and then Spurs just got lucky um, got lucky with the officiating got lucky with the goal and it's just it's what happens in the game um, but kind of thoughts on the officiating from you two obviously it's a big topic of conversation on Sky Sports and everywhere else um, it, it's it's VAR should VAR be included in the women's game or the obvious other alternative is just to invest in the officiating and that's been going on for years it's it's just not improved and obviously now that the, the league is kind of growing and then the officiating isn't growing with it um jesse what are your thoughts on that i mean i think generally my thoughts are we should probably have full-time referees but i do also find it kind of funny that you know it's always been one of like the annoyances of watching the premier league is if there is a contentious refereeing decision that's all that sky ever wants to talk about and it now just feels like maybe sky just wanted the wsl because they were like now that the Premier League has VAR, there's less contentious decisions. So we can find a league where there's more so we can talk about it all again. 
Um, so, yeah, you know, clearly there should be full-time referees, but also in football, there's always going to be decisions that, you know, go your way or don't go your way. That's literally how it works. It tends to work itself out in the end. And if you're Man City, there's no way you should be drawing 1-1 with Tottenham with 10 minutes to go anyway. You open yourself up to luck if you don't take control of the game. So, yeah, it's like, it's totally frustrating. Of course it is, but... I don't know. At the end of the day, I think that is just like part and parcel of football. And it's funny and it's fun. And and that's kind of like why we should enjoy it as well. You know, it's annoying when you're on the losing end of it. Look, like my team lost last week because of a rubbish piece of decision making by an official. But what can you do? You know, Chelsea have benefited from it too. Man City will benefit from it at some point. And you know, if anyone's going to benefit from a bit of luck, I'd prefer it to be Tottenham the City at the end of the day. So I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, that's the other th- bit of it. It's like all the men's fans are complaining about VAR. It's because it's it's kind of lost the momentum of the game. And when you talk about the moment, momentum of the game, you include the shitty decisions of the refs. You know, it's it's always just been part of the game. You know, it's human error. You can't fault human error because no matter how good of a ref you are, no matter how good of any kind of person that you are, you're always going to make that one mistake or the probability of a human error is, is quite high. And it's just, as you said, Jesse, you know, it's just part of the game and you kind of accept it. And whether it goes your way or not, it's, there's nothing you can do about it at the end of the day. Abdullah, what do you think? No, no, I, I agree. I think, I think if, if the fact that now we've got Sky, who've taken over the WSL and all that, I think if, if, if they want the league to be, and if everyone's complaining and they wanted to be better, they wanted to do it, then yeah, and I think full-time referees is probably the first step to kind of get the league up to par. And if you've got the broadcasting rights now with a major, uh, with a major broadcaster, then that's you know that's that's a step in the positive direction. But then I think everything else needs to catch up with it. You know, um, I agree with what what you guys are saying. Like if if one week one team is going to benefit, the next week the next team is going to benefit. You know, and like the people complaining about it today are are they going to get a decision? For of them next week and then they're just going to stay quiet are they going to complain again i highly doubt it so it's just part and possible of the game we've been seeing this in football for the last decade or two so um whether when var came there were issues and var wasn't there there issues i mean yes when if var comes in it will solve a lot of the obvious decisions that may or may not get given but there's going to be something to complain about so at the end of the day it is what it is we all love complaining don't we <laughs> um, but moving on to the actual game jesse your thoughts on the game in general? Was it more city city shooting themselves in the foot, or did your favorite manager in the whole wide world, Rianne Skinner, just get it completely right? I know. I owe Rahan a massive apology. This, uh, yeah, I thought she did get it right. You know, I mean, I think it is a bit of both. Look, City should probably have been home and dry way before Rahan Skinner was able to make the changes she did, but the changes she did make really worked, you know. Uh, Chioma Ubagagu, her runs really stretched out City's defence. Kit Graham, who often looks like Spurs' best player, you know, sh- she came on and she, like, immediately changed changed the game by, you know, kind of setting up, getting the, the pre-assist for, for Rachel Williams's goal. And, you know, even... Again, talking about the uh, the contentious goal, Spurs should have got a second because Jess Naz was put through on goal and had a one-on-one and, and she should have scored, you know. So Rahan Skinner did really well, but also City just went into total panic mode. And I feel like this is something we've seen quite a few times from Gareth Taylor, um, that it feels like often he's got a lot of good players in his squad, but he doesn't really know how to 
to use them with each other in a way that's like effective. And even even yesterday, you know, it felt like obviously like Bunny Shaw comes on and Ellen White's on the pitch as well. And so you've got these two quite similar players and it's just very much like, oh, this is like a last chance saloon. We're going to throw everything at it. And it's like, sometimes you just feel like maybe if you take a step back and think about how you want your team to play and and who you need to be be doing what you want, they're better decisions to be made than, than just kind of, you know, throwing everything at it. But obviously City have had a tough week going out of the Champions League, you know, that loss to Real Madrid. And it kind of just felt like they went into like pure panic mode here here as well. And and it's a similar issue. You know, last season they had some draws against Brighton and Reading that that shouldn't have been draws because they couldn't finish the chances that were in front of them. And exactly the same thing happened yesterday, basically. Yeah, I can agree 100% that I think Garrett Taylor doesn't really know how to find a cohesion in, in his players and kind of have that one style of play that you see in so many other teams. You know, it's I get that you don't want to have, you know, that one style of play be predictable and whatnot, but I mean, Matt City is unpredictable because there's literally nothing to predict because the players don't, I mean, not the players, it's more Gareth Taylor, just not, like you mentioned, Jesse, just not finding how to take advantage of the players that he had. Because, I mean, he has one of the best squads in the WSL with, I mean, he has world-class players and it's sad not to see them being taken advantage of in, in terms of, you know, their strengths, their weaknesses. And yeah, obviously the Real Madrid uh, loss, I, I have to feel for Vicky Lozada as a Barcelona fan, you know, one season she's winning the Champions League with Barcelona and the next season she's losing to Real Madrid, not even getting to the group stage of the Champions League. Um, but she has, it is sad to see her play with Man City, but it, it has, I think, helped them a lot in the midfield. She's, she's obviously brought in that, that tiki-taka football, that one-touch passing um, that I think frees up a lot of Man City players, especially on, on the wing with with Hemp, um, you know, using her speed and everything. But Abdullah, you know, City struggled probably more than they expected, but they did struggle a lot against Real Madrid um, in the Champions League. And now this loss, what isn't working about, you know, what Gareth Taylor wants the players to do? What have you seen that isn't really working for them? Okay. Admittedly, I have, I have watched the highlights of both games. However, based on kind of what I've been watching and what I've been seeing, it's, it's kind of going on the theme of what you guys have been saying. It just, he, he almost seems to have one way of playing, but that also doesn't actually have, that that doesn't actually garner a style. So you kind of don't know what exactly they want to do. It's almost like they're reliant on a couple of individual players to kind of produce some magic, whether it's Chloe Kelly when she was fit and then Lauren Hemp on the other side. So it's it's a lot focused on the wings. Um, And then obviously in the last couple of weeks, we've seen like Janine Becky save them during the beginning of the season. So it's, for me, it's like, okay, you've, you've got this one set of play. And I was talking to, um, Om Arvin, he's just, you know, from Managing Madrid uh, site, and he was talking about the Real Madrid-Man City game, and basically we were discussing why City weren't able to break down Real Madrid, and one of the things that he said was it was very one-dimensional in the sense that City had one way of playing, so it was trying to do third-man runs and kind of like, okay, pass into a midfielder, midfielder takes it, third-man run with a run in behind. But when Real Madrid figured that out and stopped it, City almost didn't try anything else per se. And kind of like what 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 Jesse was saying was, 
they kind of just throw the, it's like, if that doesn't work, they throw the kitchen sink. It's like, it's panic modes very, very quickly. It's not like 85th minute. It's not working. Then you throw in three strikers and throw your center back, you know, Alana Kennedy striker. No, it's like 55th, 60th, 65th minute. It's like, ah, I don't know what to do. We're just going to have to go and throw everybody on the pitch. So I don't see a clear identity. And I think this is the same problem we had last year. I don't know how it's going to get fixed unless he figures uh, sits down with his team and goes, okay, we need to figure out a plan and how to get this team to play with the assets that we have. Um, otherwise, it's just going to be reliance on on individual players. And maybe Vicky Lusada bringing that tiki-taka football you said, maybe that does prompt a change and you know gives something different in midfield. Yeah, there. I mean, we've we've talked about Gareth Taylor since last season, kind of not not really settling into this manager role in the WSL with the team that he has and and WSL and women's professional football. But Jesse, you know, this is undeniably a huge debt in City's title run. You know, it's, you know, it is just the start of the season, just two games in. But even Gareth Taylor mentioned after the game was a small amount of teams, small amount of matches in the WSL. Once you drop points, it's really hard to catch back up, especially if Chelsea and Arsenal are not dropping points. And obviously now they have to rely on Chelsea and Arsenal dropping points to a lower table team or them getting points off Chelsea and Arsenal, which at the moment I don't really see like that's going to happen. Um, I mean, you, you never know, obviously, but just on paper and results and and kind of how each team are playing, I don't really see them taking points off of neither Chelsea nor Arsenal. And obviously with the problems, you know, as Abdullah mentioned there, it's getting kind of... Uh, not easy, but just very easy to put them into that panic mode, um, kind of just stopping whatever they want to do and then them not really being able to to find the solutions on the pitch. How do you see this playing out for the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, look, it can be done. Chelsea won the title last season and they lost one game to a non-top three opposition, but crucially, it was the only game they lost. So City have now put themselves in a position where they have to come away with something from all four games against Arsenal and Chelsea, which does feel like a very big ask, especially given how well Arsenal have started the season. They have a lot of players to come back. You know, Ellie Roebuck, uh, Kira Walsh, um, obviously Lucy Bronze is out and that now they've lost Esme Morgan. So all of that's obviously going to be very frustrating for them. But... <laughs> Yeah, as I say, it can be done and lots has been made of them because they're out of the Champions League. You know, will they have an advantage because of that? Arsenal and Chelsea playing the group stages, but Man City have to go into the Continental Cup group stages. So you're not even actually now getting loads of time back anyway. You still have added games put into your calendar. So I think, it, you know, maybe it is mad to say, but I do think you probably have to look at them as kind of being out, out of the title race, you know, barring some miraculous performances. And I think the other thing that maybe plays into me feeling like that is because, you know, you look at Emma Hayes' Chelsea side and they are very mentally tough. Even when they lose, it feels like they immediately bounce back. They're very good at putting those kind of, games behind them and kind of refocusing and resetting. And I think that's that's why they've been so hard to beat over the past couple of years, Where whereas you look at what's happened to City, they have this really unfortunate, well, not unfortunate loss. Obviously, Real Madrid played really well, but, you know, a, a game where they maybe feel, should feel like they should have won and then they immediately go and, and lose to a team they should never be losing to in the WSL. And to me, that just kind of speaks to the fact that it doesn't really feel like there's a mentality among that set of players to overcome 
hardship when they come up against it over over longer periods of time. And that to me kind of says, well, are you really going to be able to go through the rest of the season and, and not lose a single other game to a side in the WSL? Like, I just don't think that's the case. The two games against Arsenal and Chelsea should definitely be interesting because obviously, as we mentioned, City have put themselves in the position that they can't really drop points in those four games. And maybe it, perhaps that will that will kind of trigger panic mode very, very early on in the game, considering that they know that in the back of their heads. But we'll see. We're, we'll move on to the other Manchester team now. Um, Leicester 1, Manchester United 3. Mark Skinner has two out of two wins so far in the WSL. Um, Ella Toon's goal definitely... Best of the match. I mean, that rocket from outside the box is just absolutely amazing. Though Manchester United do seem to have the same problem they did last season in terms of their lack of finishing versus their their chances created. Yes, I mean, they scored three, um, Leicester City won, but their XG was 2.68 and Leicester's was not 0.83. I mean, that's a big gap there. And then when you put it into regular numbers for people that don't really understand the XG... 33 attempts on goal with 10 on target and just three goals from that. It's, I mean, we, we've said it against Casey Stoney. It was the entirety of last season. You know, they get to the goal, they create their chances. They, they have the players to do so. And at the end of the day, they don't score the goals and they just shoot themselves in the foot because then they concede and concede and they can't get back. But Jesse, you know, we've, we've only been able to see two weeks so far of, of Mark Skinner's um, Manchester United, but is there anything in particular that has caught your interest? Yeah, I think they've been, you know, probably better than we expected. Um, I think, you know, obviously his kind of standout tactical decision has been this Elatoon as a false nine type thing, which it would be interesting to see how how long he persists with it because I do think if they are struggling to score, it would make sense to kind of see Alessia Russo get a bit more game time in that in that number nine role. I think, you know, the main culprit at the moment is is Kirsty Hansen, who's had a, had a number of like good opportunities and, and not scored yet this season. Um, although obviously Martha Thomas managed to get a debut goal. Um, so maybe Martha Thomas will end up suddenly on fire. Um, but again, that's another player who we kind of know over the past isn't like a particularly clinical finisher. So it does feel like they're heavily relying on Ella Toon for goals. The other thing that kind of worries me about them is I do think they don't look amazing defensively. I think, you know, even a very weak Reading side exposed them at points. I think there were points where Leicester also exposed them. And I wonder if the against the bigger teams that will become more apparent, especially because now, unfortunately, they've lost Millie Turner to what sounds like an ACL. So she's going to be out for a long time and they are kind of quite thin in that area. So I think, you know, it's been, it's been a broadly positive start for Skinner but I don't think an unexpected start. Like we, I think we would have expected them to win both of these games. And I think they've, they've won them by about the margins you would expect. But yeah, as, as you say, Alex, it, it does just make you think like who is, who's really like putting away those chances in the games where you're not going to get 10 shots on target. You're only going to get one. Yeah. And going off for that point of kind of, not repeating, repeating the same history as last season, more or less. But, you know, one thing that I did notice um, that's not impressed me, not necessarily, it has impressed me, but not necessarily like, wow, this is really, really impressive. But I've been really liking how much Onabatye has been involved in the attack. Um, she has that capability and she's she has the intelligence to be able to go up, be involved in the attack and kind of recover herself in the defensive mode. Um, but I mean, the highlights that I saw 
she was she was at the top of the box like it made no sense I was like what are you I mean you're fullback what are you doing in the box in the middle of the box having shots on target um kind of being involved in all the play it's been really impressive so I'm kind of curious to kind of see how Mark Skinner develops that attack and and what players he has involved in that attack because Onabatia seems to be really really involved in that so far and and kind of how they balance that attack defense, as you mentioned, Jesse, you know, they are running a bit thin on defenders and the quality of defenders that they have running a bit thin, obviously losing Amy Turner to the NWSL was a big blow for them. I think she was kind of one of their, their biggest references as a center back as well. And now obviously Millie Turner out, but it is, I'll definitely be interested to see how he balances that attack versus defense. And as we mentioned, you know, their attack isn't, it's really, really good when you look at the individual players that they have, but it's not really cohesive and it's not really getting the results that you would expect from the players that that they have. Um, but Abdullah, you know, going off of that, do you think the United will be able to win better their last season or will it be about the same or maybe even less than that? I think if I think it'll be about the same, but I think if they can they can maintain and go back to what they did last season, I think that in itself will be an achievement. After all the uproar of Casey Stoney leaving, players leaving, the exodus, the whole you know thing around United, you know that that happened in the in the build up to the season. I think if they can if they can kind of rebuild or readjust their platform that they had built under Casey Stoney and achieve what they did last season i think that'll be a great start for skinner and that puts him in a uh, in a great position going into next season and kind of saying okay i don't exactly have uh i can now start building the squad that i want to do it you know and and get in my players when he gets a full preseason and a full transfer window obviously in january he'll have an opportunity to to do that if, if he wants to but i think i think it'll be um i think it'll be in and around the same i think that that fourth spot now completely opens up uh, because Everton aren't doing as well and we, we don't know what, what they're going to produce. So, I mean, if, 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 he, if he can get a couple more wins under his belt in the next couple of weeks, then, um, or, even, you know, some good results, then there's no reason why United can't say, you know what, we're just going to go for fourth again. I think yeah, it definitely depends how, I mean, all the points that we mentioned there in terms of attack and defense, um, will they be able to, to get points off of Chelsea again this season who knows but Jesse going on to Leicester you know tough debut for Leicester at the King Power Stadium I mean the crowd the crowd sounded amazing it it seemed like such a good game to be at but they obviously still have some room to grow into the WSL what are your thoughts so far on them and how do you see them going up against you know the the tougher oppositions later on in the season my initial impressions are that they will be like totally fine they've got no worry about going down and I think you know probably most of those teams kind of were looking at Birmingham and thinking, well, that that's quite good. And I think it's useful for them to kind of have a free hit on this season. I think they're a very exciting team going forward. You know, I was looking at um, some of Optus stats and one of their metrics is something called direct speed, which is basically a measure of how quickly a team moves the ball up the pitch and Leicester come out on top of that. So they're moving the ball faster up the pitch than any other team in the WSL. And I think you could really see this in the game against Manchester United. There are a number of moments where it felt like they were able to catch United's defence kind of out of shape. They just couldn't really then make a whole lot for it. You know, Molly Pike had a had a great shot that was well saved by Mary Earps. Um, and, you know, equally another thing that I thought was interesting that they kind of stood out from there is they've created more XG from set plays than any other, any other side in the WSL. And I think, again, we've not really seen it super payoff. I mean, they, they obviously scored from, from a set play uh, here, but, you know, I think that bodes well for them, both those things as a team. 
Um, I think their problem is that at the moment, it feels like defensively they switch off way too easily. You know, last week we saw against Villa, they conceded two goals in two minutes. This week, you know, they come out for the start of the second half. They're only one nil down against United. They came back from that against United in the FA Cup at the end of last season. So they should have been feeling confident and they almost you know, immediately concede because they can't really clear their lines from a corner. Um, equally, the third goal, same same issue, can't clear their lines and, and it kind of gets bundled in. So I think that's something they've got to figure out. You know, the, the WSL is faster, it is more brutal than, than the championship. You don't kind of have the opportunity to switch off or sit on your laurels in, in ways maybe you do against, against those smaller teams down there. I think they've got the ability to to make that transition, I think it, it it will just take a bit of time for them still. That's really fair. I am really excited to see Leicester kind of, you know, we mentioned it obviously in the preview pod again. They've got a few good players in there and I think they're kind of the ideal team um, to build a team off of a collective team play rather than focusing on individual players like other teams would when you have big names in them. Um, so I am really excited to see Leicester kind of grow into the WSL and, and kind of adjust themselves to the level of football that they play now. But moving on to, as you mentioned, Bright, uh, Birmingham City, nil, Brighton, five. Five different goal scorers for Brighton as well. That's really good to see. Um, the only team that beat Chelsea last season is now top of the league with six points and a better goal difference than Arsenal. And, um, you know, we've always said never to doubt Hope Powell on this podcast. So we'll take that. Uh, Danielle Carter, I will mention, I am really happy to see her enjoying her football again um i haven't been able to see her play in person since i've been in england obviously because of that that knee injury and the recovery with arsenal I, i've never really got to see her only um from the matches that i've seen her play before and obviously that nice goal against chelsea um iconic goal that that she did but yeah i am really excited to see daniel carter and kind of the quality that she has she's brought in a lot of um a lot of quality to, to brighton now that she's back fully but abdullah Brighton off to a good start to the season with seven goals in two games. Not bad at all. Do you think maybe we underestimated the side just a little bit? I think so. I don't think anybody would have expected um, Brighton to start the way they did start. I guess it's a club as a whole, right? Even in the in the Premier League, Brighton are, are doing pretty decently well over there themselves. So I guess the club as a whole is, is having a really good start to the season. Um, but seven goals, two games. I mean, they smashed Birmingham 5-0, which, which is... which. You'd think that, you know, yeah, you could expect, or not even expect, but you could say, yeah, Brighton can beat Birmingham, but you, you don't think they're going to smash them 5-0. No, that's that's saying that, you know, uh, a Chelsea-Arsenal, Manchester City, that's kind of their sort of, you know, result uh, thing. But, I mean, they, after that early goal, I think it was it was it's great to see. And now I'm I'm kind of excited to see how they kick on and and whether they can maintain. I, I think obviously I think they they obviously out, out overachieved their XG, which is which is obvious. And I don't think they're gonna be able to continue on with that. But I'm excited to see how many more wins they can churn out. And if you know they could potentially be the best of the rest, you know, uh, in, in the sense that you know um, they can compete. You know, getting 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 up there. And if they can get a few more. Big Big wins, you know, against a West Ham, a Villa, those kinds of those kinds of teams, then nothing stopping the whole Powell train. And you know, we can we can we can eat our words and say, you know what, fair play, Brighton, Brighton did it. And Jesse, what do you think of this game in particular? Was it more Birmingham's defensive mistakes or kind of lack of defensive stability, or did Brighton really show what they're capable of with this new squad? I don't think. Birmingham made it hard for Brighton, but, you know, this was Brighton's biggest ever win in the WSL. So at the same time, I do think, you know, we can 
fairly say, you know, they've played against rubbish defences before and they've not been able to make the most of it. You know, even like we were kind of looking at West Ham game where obviously they were playing against 10 players for the majority of it and they didn't really manage to make the most of it there. I think what really just like shone for me was how confident Brighton's players felt. You know, the shots they were taking on, Dan Carter's goal, Kaylee Green's goal, you know, they were really, really impressive well taken tricky goals to score and we we often it really drives me mad seeing players in the WSL taking like pot shots from a million different places when they should like be holding onto the ball but it felt like Brighton's taking these opportunities they were doing it at points where they were the one option rather than you know and and so then it felt worth doing rather than just being like we don't know what to do so we're just going to shoot from like miles outside the area so yeah I think I think it's really impressive you know I do think Birmingham are just going to really really struggle this season and 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 obviously that does play a part but yeah I'm, I'm really excited to see you know what Brighton can can go on and do and I think you know looking at Everton start obviously Manchester United have started well, but you know, I do think we're still looking at a, a newer Manchester United. I do think Brighton have a have a really good opportunity to kind of push on up into that fourth, fifth position. And I think I will they will give a lot of teams a run for their money this season. Brighton's next two matches is against Aston Villa and then Chelsea after that. Abdullah, do you think Brighton can cause Chelsea some problems again? Um, after what we've spoken earlier in terms of Chelsea's new kind of defensive setup, do you think they can kind of penetrate that and use it to their advantage? My gut feeling says no, because by that point, Chelsea would have settled into a, at least to somewhat settled into a back three after playing a third game. Uh, so um, inherently I want to say no, but I, I, I don't rule out, there being moments where Brighton can kind of maybe come in with it, with the odd attack and and kind of take advantage of, of you know of some of the space that they might you know leave open. Um, I think it also comes down to the fact of is whether Hay sticks with this back three five as her settled back five or whether she even makes some more changes and experiments by the time they do play uh, by the time they do play uh, Brighton so uh, I think it comes down to those couple things but I think I think Villa is where I think Brighton can 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 get some points but I think Chelsea might just be a step too far for them on to the last game of the pod which was also the first game of the weekend uh, we did this backwards didn't we um, West Ham won Aston Villa won very intriguing match, I think, overall. Obviously, West Ham threw away a lead in the last minute against Aston Villa, who also finished the match with 19 attempts on target to West Ham's eight. So I think the scoreline is really intriguing considering how the match uh, played out and kind of the stats on it. But Jesse, what were your general thoughts on the game? Yeah, I really enjoyed this game. I think these are two teams who are going to be really interesting to watch how they develop throughout the season. Um, I think West Ham should should really have been out of sight here. It felt it felt like they had so much control for the first, you know, hour or so, and then it felt like the more they realised they were only one nil up, the like the further they sank back. Ollie Harder took off Claudia Walker to bring on Lois Stroll, who was kind of playing as like as one of their wing backs and it just felt like that like really just piled even more pressure on them as 
as a team because they didn't really have an out ball anymore to, to walk or playing up front. And I mean, you know, credit to Aston Villa, they they really pushed and, and kind of the opposite of harder. I thought Carla Ward's subs were subs really good. Gemma Davison made a great impact when she came on. Um, Shania Hales as well. But, you know, I do kind of feel like West Ham really let Villa get back into this game and that's going to be frustrating for Ollie Harder. But, you know, I think there are lots of positive signs for this West Ham team. You know, Lisa Evans looked great. Uh, Adrian Leon looked amazing, looked so confident. And I think as, you know, they these players start to play together more, um, Mel Phyllis as well, I thought was really, really good in midfield. I think then, you know, more will come from, from these players. But I think it's just for them so frustrating because obviously last week you have this write-off because Hawa Sissoko gets sent off so early and this weekend you should really they should really have taken all three points and and obviously they get pegged back right at the end Jesse you mentioned they're kind of the stand-up players you know Lisa Evans obviously I mean she's an amazing player no matter what but I think she's she's brought in a lot of confidence to this West Ham side particularly you know we talk about you know those American players that bring in the confidence you know Lisa Evans would be that player and you know she's won the WSL she's played with uh, well, I mean, she lives with Vivian Miedema. Uh, she has that strong mentality you know, to bring in. She has a lot to offer in this West Ham side, you know, on and off the pitch. Um, she's looked really good. And, and so West Ham can, can definitely do a lot more. But Abdullah, you know, again, West Ham throw away the lead in the 92nd minute. What does this say about the squad? Are you kind of, you know, we, we're, we're talking about West Ham a lot here, but are you kind of worried on the, the other side a bit of defensively and men- mentally? can they kind of live up to all the potential that they have? I, I think uh, you, you, tell, you touched on it. Absolutely. What I was going to say is it's, I think it's the mental part. I think that's where it's going to be like you, you, you toil hard to, to get into this one position, your forwards don't put away the rest of the chances that they had in, in across 19 minutes. And, you know, in a game where far and beyond, you should be out of sight. Like, Villa shouldn't even had a sniff, depending on some of the chances that they had. And then in the 92nd minute, you, you you let it go. I think it's it's more it's more of a mental lapse in concentration. Yes, obviously it's a defensive lapse as well, because otherwise you wouldn't concede the goal. But that mental uh, that mental thing of like they conceded, and now I and you know that could that could take them into games coming up. They could be in a winning position, and you know. Opposition teams might use the, you know, use the fact against them in terms of piling on pressure. It can West Ham cope with, with defending with their backs against the wall. It's you know three minutes to go, five minutes to go, two minutes to go. Can they hold on to a lead or hold on to a draw? And I think that is going to be the biggest test for them now, uh, is developing that mental side of it. But um, you know, a good team, a lot of potential. But you know, we've seen it. There, there are a lot of times when teams with this potential, can they live up to it? Some do, some don't, and then I think that comes down to the whole the mental, uh, the mental uh, capacity of whether it comes from the manager or the players themselves. So I think that'll be the biggest test for me. Can definitely get behind that opinion. But looking at Villa on the other side, um, you know, we we mentioned that Villa did have 19 attempts on target, well, not on target, uh, just on goal in general. Uh, but at the same time, you know, West Ham did dominate this match and look like the more sound side of, of kind of the opposition and everything. Um, and obviously, you know, Villa's centre-backs have been struggling a little bit um, with kind of keeping up with a lot of the the faster, the quicker, the younger players, for example. But Jesse, was this one of Villa's better performances? 
Um, I don't think so. No, I think they were pretty lucky to get a, a point out of this. I thought Maz Pacheco was really good and her link up with both Chantel Boyalorca and then kind of Alicia Lehman um, when she got switched to the left was was really impressive. But it felt like, you know, Emily Gilnick really struggled to get into the game. There were lots of players doing my cardinal sin of taking like rubbish shots from from way far that's those 19 shots on goal you know they were all from around the halfway line um but you know credit to them they've shown they've got they've got the Carl Award mentality instilled you know obviously coming from a goal down in both their games to get to get four points I do think like you say Alex those those centre-backs are a worry I thought it was quite amusing that um they had Anita Asante doing the Chelsea game on on the BBC on Sunday and then at half time they were like and here's the highlights from so far this weekend it's just Anita Asante making a mistake for West Ham's opening goal um but Alicia and Dow struggled as well against up against Leon so I don't I don't really know what you do there I think they'll they'll probably stay as the starting centre-backs but they look very very vulnerable indeed um, look, you know, there's a lot of new players still coming to this team and I think Carla Ward's a, a great manager and obviously there's there's kind of like relationships to be formed there, but it it wasn't it wasn't a great performance. And I do think they're still lacking quite a lot going forward and they were for a lot large portions of the game totally overrun in midfield. So, you know, great to come away with four points from two games where you probably should have lost them both but I don't know how sustainable that is across the entirety of a season Can yeah I think I definitely agree with with everything that you said there uh, it will be interesting to see if there is kind of a a very radical change in, in Aston Villa and if they get they kind of grow into the WSL and the whole season and see if they actually improve on anything but yeah I mean that's we can't really say much now we're just gonna have to see how the next few games and the whole process of kind of yeah the relationships that build up um and under color ward like kind of what she does from this moment on but now we go into the international break and the next WSL matches will be on the weekend of the 25th and the 26th of September um so kind of a little break I think from then we'll be kind of focusing on the women's champions league maybe um, we're potentially going to be doing a preview pod because just an hour before this recording on Monday, that women's champions league groups have been confirmed and they are really good. So in group A, we have Chelsea, Wolfsburg, Juventus, Servet, um, Switzerland. Group B, we have Arsenal, Barcelona, Hoffenheim and Kog. Group C, PSG, Pierre Dablik, Real Madrid and Kharkiv. Group D, Bayern Munich, Lyon, Haken, and Benfica. I mean, some of those matchups, obviously, Chelsea Wolfsburg, classic Women's Champions League match there, Jesse. And then obviously, Arsenal Barcelona is just going to be absolutely amazing to watch. The um, Alex Ibaceta derby. We yeah. love to see it. Yeah. You know what? I thought I was going to be a bit more conflicted, but like, as more on like, maybe as like the more analysis side and like football kind of fan I'm really excited to see both of them come up against each other because I think it's very I mean I love both both teams because of the style of football and everything so I'm, re- I'm really I'm so excited you have no idea um, yeah, you're just saying you can't pick a side uh, no you know what I'm just gonna go I'm gonna show up as a neutral <laughs> if oh, that's okay. possible whoever wins should be backing whoever wins there you go. <laughs> that's more like it uh, but yeah you know these group stages 
Really, really good. Um, do you guys want to kind of pick out your your favorite group to watch? Uh, Abdullah, we'll start with you. I'm going to back my own team, Lyon. I think that Lyon Bayern Munich is going to be huge. I'm I'm excited to see how they do because I think Lyon haven't been like in the best of form obviously since the end of last season. Uh, and and kind of they're they're slowly getting their stride with Sonia Bombuster in in the team. So I think this will be a real test. But equally, I mean. I'm putting aside Arsenal Barcelona for me, hands down. I'm so excited for that game from a tactical perspective because they're so they're they're both the same yet different at the same time. And I want to see how Jonas, you know, figures out whether he can figure out Barcelona or not, because they were the ones that obviously won the Champions League. And 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 just a shout out to to Real Madrid. They they beat City, obviously. So I wouldn't, you know, I would, I would I can I can actually see them. Potentially topping that group over PSG, I, there is a chance just because of the way they played against City. If they can repeat that, I can see Real Madrid topping that group. So everything is good. I'll go with Group D, uh, but Group C is one to keep an eye on outside of you know Group B and A. Real Madrid topping the group. You heard it here first, folks. We'll see how that goes. Jesse, what are you most excited about here? Oh, it's got to be the Arsenal, Barcelona and Hoffenheim group. Sorry, Koga, I don't know much about you. But yeah, I think, you know, I love watching Hoffenheim. They're, they're my favourite team in Germany. Um, I'm really excited to get to see them at Meadow Park. And yeah, Arsenal, Barcelona, they could be some very, very tasty games indeed. So I think, you know, I think Arsenal and Barcelona will probably go through. I think they'll probably both have too much for Hoffenheim, but um, Hoffenheim will definitely offer an interesting challenge. Um, looking forward to Joe Montemuro back at Kings Meadow. That will be nice in in Chelsea's group. And and yeah, I, I agree with Abdullah. I do think Real Madrid have got a very nice draw. You know that they beat Manchester City basically without Aslani as well. So that's a pretty handy player to have coming back into your team. So I think that one definitely feels like the most open in terms of who I who I think could finish finish top so super exciting so that's our preview to the preview uh we'll definitely go more into kind of each group and each team and kind of the the matchups we'll hopefully be talking more about that in another pod um because there is definitely a lot to talk about with these groups and and kind of even outside you know the Chelsea's the Arsenal's Barcelona the Hoffenheim I mean Hoffenheim has has impressed so far in this Champions League so and you know obviously Real Madrid as well so keep you know just just keep uh, keep an eye on our Twitter account at BoxBoxWCL and we'll kind of keep you up to date with the information and kind of when the, the next podcast will come out and you can find our individual Twitter handles on the way uh, on there as well. Sorry, it's been it's the end of the podcast. I'm stuttering over my words now, um, but we'll probably kind of be tweeting out uh, individual, uh, maybe even tactical articles and whatnot so you can follow us there a reminder that there is still time to vote for us in the football content awards check out our twitter for more information on how to vote there's links there you can vote via instagram twitter or on the actual page which you will find in the twitter um but yeah see you soon hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you everyone for listening see you later Cheers, guys.